0: Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and this is The Point. We have become the source here in Southeast Pennsylvania on this station for authenticity and exactitude. And it's because you've all identified our show as the guidepost for truth seekers everywhere. The Point is the home of factualism. Folks, we appreciate you all taking the time every week to spend time with us for tuning into this show. We will have an action-packed show today, and we'll be moving very quickly at the speed of sound today. We're going to provide an explanation to the unexplainable folks, and we're going to expose, as we do every week, with our expert opinion, the Prop to Propaganda Fake News Network and their media malpractice that's occurring every day. So let's jump right into it. Folks, what's amazing to me, and, and again, we're looking at the polls, and we see the different polls that are out there. And I, I just want to point to a couple of things. First off, I've said this before: a poll, a poll, can be made to show anything. For instance, uh, polling companies like NBC News, Wall Street Journal, when they tag team their lousy poll, what they and they did it four years ago; they're doing it again. Okay, they put together a poll uh, that shows like 45 percent Democrats and 36 percent Republicans, with the balance, of course, being um, independents. But what's even more compelling is where they get their Democrats. Where do they get their Republicans and where do they get their independents? What percentage of what votes and where come out of what areas? Things like that. Demographics. Geography, things like that. This is what polling companies look at. Propensity of voters, things like that. So these poll companies, for instance, if if you were to try to get a poll here in Pennsylvania and you wanted to slant the poll, then you would immediately um, oversample Republicans, the percentage, of course, of Republicans uh, here on the main line, and you would undersample Republicans in the middle of the state in Berks County, things like that. So if you want to show a poll and you want to say, well, I, you know, if you want to if you want to represent your poll as having accurate percentages of Republicans and Democrats, you can do that. And at the same time, you can achieve your purpose of getting slanted Democrats and slanted Republicans just by where do you get the Democrats and where do you get the Republicans and and whatnot. And I, I think what's interesting is I mean, we've had I've, I know people that have been polled uh, that by some outfits, some some outfits somewhere, but they they got polled and they were asked, "Are you a uh, registered Republican?" Yes, I am. <clears throat> they would ask, um, "Are you a uh, a true conservative Republican?" And I think what you know, of course, the answer to that would be, "I'm I'm a conservative." Okay, well, we have to, uh, and this is what happened twice. Uh, Well, we already have our quota on that. So thank you very much. They hang up and they disconnect, of course, and they go on to the next Republican in the list. They're calling Republicans, as I said, they're calling Republicans uh, in certain areas trying to find out. They're basically looking for anti-Trump Republicans. That's what I get out of this. If they're able to say, okay, well, we have 36 percent of our sampling was Republican and they sampled 800 people. Well, they could easily throw that poll off by oversampling 30 Republicans on the main line. And I guess that's where I'm at, oversampling by, by, by 30 more than they should have. I'm not saying you don't get Republicans on the main line. I'm simply saying you need to get Republicans from all of the state. I'm also saying that 800, 800 is a very small sampling, okay? Um, I mean, when you look at the actual poll that I've seen, uh, that and the t- polls that I kind of trust are like the Sunday Express Democracy Institute poll which uh, surveyed like, I think it was like 11 or 1200 people, 1500 people. It was, of, and it was likely voters. Uh, the NBC news, wall street journal uh, polled 800 registered voters. So again, I think it was quickly thrown together and it was designed to um, as it was four years ago to, to, to skew opinion and to push people uh, to be afraid of, uh, you know, that and basically to suppress Trump's energy. Okay. Trump's enthusiasm, you know, and, and it's not working again. This per, this particular poll, the Sunday Express Democracy Institute poll showed Trump up by a point, point. Uh, and this was after the debate. It has him up 46 to 45, and it gets into the battleground states and so forth, and it talks about how Trump's up in Florida, how Trump's up in Minnesota, how Trump's up in New Hampshire, uh, you know, uh, how, just everywhere. Trump's up in all the battleground states, Okay. And I think what's interesting on all of this is, again, even compared to the Zogby poll, the Zogby poll also showed Trump up by a point. And, and that poll, again, uh, I thought was interesting was uh, that one as well was a, a little bit of a – well, I think the samplings were, were just a little off. But whatever the case is, Zogby also has a different way of doing polling. I don't really like to look at the Zogby polls because I don't think they've ever gotten one Right uh again i i just i just see polling that way i just wanted to point that out i want our listeners to understand that you have experts right here on this station on this show myself being one of those experts that are looking very closely at these polls to see what exactly it looks like for trump and the lead indicators all indicate that trump's leading as i said this This particular uh, Sunday Express Democracy Institute poll had Trump ahead in those battleground states. And again, it it has to do with voter registration numbers being up everywhere, Republicans being up. It has to do with here in Pennsylvania, the uh, 406,000 new background checks, if you will, for for uh, for firearm purchases. State police just reported that. Again, a lot of that has to do with what people think will happen to the Second Amendment. Should the Democrats get in? So these are all these are all concerned citizens that are going to come out and vote for Trump. And I I just think that's important. See, Trump's base is going to come out. As I said, this is going to be a base election. Trump's base is going to come out. And I think, uh, you know, he's been down a little bit um, since the covid and since the debate. He was down a little bit um, and uh, because he kind of got off his his. Kind of got off of his uh, game a little bit with the with the with the catching this this COVID, and uh, he dropped a couple of points. Uh, you know, he went from fifty percent uh, to forty six percent in uh, approval in the Rasmussen reports, which is down. It's down where it, he's about three points lower than Barack Hussein Obama was at this point. But again, uh, you know, he had COVID, and he, again, all the all the distractions that are going on right now, and uh, all these things that are happening that are basically kind of. You know, an attempt to suppress his, his approvals. But whatever the case is, he's still holding strong. And I think that the the Democrats know that Trump's support will come out strong. Republicans are going to come out strong, much stronger than they did four years ago. And uh, his favorables and approvals with Republicans are over 90 percent. They know that as well. Uh, so don't miss that. I mean, there was a poll that came out from Gallup. And it's interesting. Gallup kind of got out of a lot of the polling. But Gallup's a very reliable poll for what they do, okay? And Gallup, I think what this, this is so telling. This is such a big piece of news, and of course the media is missing on this, but you're going to catch it right here on our station because we do unpack the truth here, and uh, we will always reveal the media bias by reporting facts that they seem to avoid. This is one fact that they seem to avoid the Gallup polls on Gallup, as I stated, generally pretty accurate in some of their polling. They say 56% of Americans say they are better off now under Trump than four years ago under Obama-Biden. And I want to say that, folks, this is during a pandemic shutdown. I don't want to miss that. Here we are in the midst of a pandemic shutdown, and 56% of Americans say they're better off than they were four years ago. Only 32% say they're worse off. And I just want to point on the fact that this is the highest Gallup has ever recorded, all right, I mean, at this point, okay, at this point. I think that's a very telling point, okay? I mean, during the pandemic, I mean, that's, that's the highest on record at this point. I just think it's an amazing phenomenon. That's very good for Donald Trump. That's very, very good. Historically speaking, the bodies that this did this, this I'm sh- historically speaking, this will bode well for the for the president. It will. And his reelection, because right around previous presidential elections, when an incumbent has been and been seeking reelection dating back to the mid 80s, never has this number been this high. Or even at a majority. I think that's very telling. So it's never even been over 50% or, over, you know, over 46%. For instance, when former President Barack Hussein Obama was seeking re-election in early 2012, the, mo- the number was 45%. And it stayed at that level through the election, which I think is phenomenal. Tr- Barack Hussein Obama beat Willard Romney with 45% of the public believing that they were they were better off prior to Barack Hussein Obama coming in. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I'm actually, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, they were They were ba- basically saying 45% had confidence in Barack Hussein Obama's job role in that respect. They say they were better off. Okay. Because of Obama being there, 45%, and he still got reelected. Likewise, when former President George H.W. Bush was seeking re-election... The, the number was at 47%. And he won He won a pretty close election, but, but he still won. When George H.W. Bush was seeking re-election in 1992, the number was at 38%. Now, he got beat, remember that, in 1992. In 1984, when Ronald Reagan was seeking re-election and he won 49 states in a landslide defeat, the number was just at 44%. So here we are at 56% believe they're better off today than they were four years ago. And, I mean, you can see from the numbers I just reeled off, Barack Obama was at 45, and he got reelected. George H.W. was at 47, and he got reelected. George H.W. was at 38, and he did not get reelected. And Ronald Reagan won almost every state in the union, okay, at, and he was at 44%. Now, you say, well, maybe that maybe that number just doesn't matter as much. Folks, I think it does matter. I just believe that people always look at the economy. The thing that it was that Reagan won a landslide because Walter Mondale told the truth and confessed that he was going to raise taxes. And people didn't have confidence in Mondale. And so they voted for Reagan, even though more than half of them uh, didn't feel good about. About the the, uh, the economy and and the way that you know how they were not better off than they were four years prior, and that's what that's a very distinct point. George H. W. Bush was down at thirty eight percent, so that's pretty poor, and that's why Bill Clinton was able to beat him in nineteen ninety two. But when you look at the other elections, at forty seven percent in um, in two thousand and four, and 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 W one at 47%, Obama at 45 I just, what I'm saying to folks is that 56% is very good and it is a lead indicator that I'd like to point to, okay? Now, it's unclear, I think, what the number was during uh, Bill Clinton's re-election in 1996. I want to point that out in the immediate lead-up to the election as Gallup's chart, I guess, uh, didn't include that year. But but earlier in ninety-six. I guess there was uh, some numbers out, and it was reported at fifty percent. Again, fifty-six percent is impressive it's really impressive. Is again the highest ever recorded this close to an election, but it was even higher before the pandemic hit. It was at sixty-one percent in February. Now I want to point that out as well. 61% in February and 56% now means that the people had confidence in Trump before the pandemic and they still have confidence in Trump after the pandemic. And that's a very, very distinct point. I don't want to miss that. Folks, I said this before. I mean, you know, I believe that that Trump's going to win. I mean, you got Joe Biden out there avoiding these questions. I think what's really interesting is Joe Biden's out there now not answering the question on stacking the Supreme Court. He avoided it in his debate with Trump. Uh, He just went into his, you know, get out and vote speech as he looked at the camera, and Trump let him go on for about 10 seconds with his repeating, please just get out and vote. You make the decision. You get out and vote. And as he's getting into his little, his little, mantra if you will trump looked at him and said are you going to do it or not answer the question and of course kamala harris had the same question posed to her at the vice presidential debate and she too failed to answer the question she said because people are already voting we're going to let them decide what they want and then of course in arizona they were just there practicing social distancing uh they were standing at least 20 feet apart kamala and joe nobody else in the building, and they were being asked by a reporter, are you going to stack the Supreme Court? And again, he said, I know that you want an answer to that question, and I I know you'd like it. I understand why you'd like me to answer that question, but I'm not going to, Joe Biden said, because I don't want you talking about it. What's interesting is, He's afraid of saying what it is. He he doesn't. He's afraid of telling the truth and saying yes. He plans on stacking the court because he's going to loo- lose the entire country, and he's afraid of telling. The, he's obviously afraid of lying to the public to appease his base by saying no, no, no. I'm not going to appease. I won't be stacking the court because then he turns off his. He turns off his radical base. So if he tells the truth and says yes, he is, then he turns off mainstream America, and if he. Lies to tell, you know, to, to try to uh, appease mainstream America and basically convince them that he's a moderate of sorts, then he turns off his base. Either way, it's a lose lose. It's a question he does not want to answer. So when he said, I don't want you talking about it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a parody here. Joe Biden does not want to answer the question that's being asked of him because he knows that the media will want to talk about his answer. Folks, that's insane. That's where this guy is today. Uh, and, and it's just amazing. And I don't want to miss that. You know, Trump just came out of, I mean, he just, he, you know, he, he just rose up out of the, out of the rubble, if you will, but he rose up out of this coronavirus infection. So he's making a new appearance and he's becoming the symbol, a powerful symbol of America's recovery. That's what he is becoming. Okay. And I think it's very, very interesting because the the Democrats know this. You got there's a huge distinction. You got the Democrats uh, wearing black masks uh, outside, inside, wherever they're at. They wear these masks. They hold a microphone up as they do these softball interviews, not answering any questions. And, of course, practicing the social distancing, afraid of getting the virus. And then Donald Trump's out there. He survives the coronavirus. And, uh, you know, his diagnosis and his recovery has become a symbol of America's recovery. And I think this is what they know. See, the president's recovery is going to be, and it is, a powerful symbol. You know, he got the virus because he was out there fighting for the country. And that's where he's going to put it. I'm not hiding in my basement. I'm out there fighting for you. I'm out there doing work. I was taking risks by doing that. And he's been saying for months that we need to be open, not closed. And we got to beat the virus, not surrender to it. See, the the Democrats plan, and this is what Trump's going to draw a a very very distinct, you know, a distinct difference. He's going to he, you're going to see the distinction between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Okay, Donald Trump defeats the virus. Joe Biden surrenders to the virus. It's a huge distinction there. It's a compelling distinction, and I think it's interesting. The risks that the, that, but you know, and, and you have to understand something. So one wants to open the economy, one wants to close the economy. And Biden's even said that he will, he will close it again. But you know, risks are the American way. We take risks every day. And I think people that take bigger risks obviously can get a bigger reward. And I think that's just like the American message. And again, it comes up with Trump taking a risk and he survives it. I mean here we are, we have an economic recovery that's faster than what's going on in Europe and stronger than anyone else was predicting and Trump is a living symbol of that positive can-do spirit in America and that's the truth of it. You know people are you know you you can you can basically you can you can look at the, you can see the clear choice. People are going to get a clear choice between Biden and Trump and, on this and and again if if the recovery continues and he does his his rallies. He plans on doing rallies uh, today. He's going to do a rally, and then he's going to do some more rallies uh, next week. Uh, Biden wants to do a virtual um, a virtual uh, debate, and Trump already said, "No way, we're going to do an in person debate." Uh, of course, Biden said, "No, we're not doing it." So I guess they won't be having a second debate because Biden wants to get help from home and from his staffers. Okay. I think that's a very distinct point as well. I, I don't want to miss that. He wants to get he wants to get help for his debate. So I mean he, he wants to stay home and hunker down, but he's gonna be doing I guess he's got some events planned, but they're not events that are gonna be showcasing anything. Um, I, I just think that's important to to look at too. You know, it's it's uh it's it's funny because when you look at and there was a uh, there was a comment I wanted to bring up on the uh on the idea that that trump actually had um it's it's about steve scully and I, I wanted to bring up that yeah steve scully that's the villain he was a biden staffer okay and somehow he gets picked and selected for the uh to you know to 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 monitor to to, to basically manage this debate okay and uh as to be a moderator and I think it's very interesting. So Scully's out there. Trump's got a problem with it. I guess uh, Scully claims somebody hacked his Twitter account and uh, sent a tweet to Scaramucci should he respond to Trump's criticisms. And uh, I guess Scaramucci said, no, don't bother. He's got problems coming up anyway. I mean, Scaramucci's like the biggest Trump hater out there who used to work for Trump. I guess that guy was really let down. Uh, I, I, I don't I don't get it. I mean, he obviously very upset because he felt that he was counting on something that didn't happen, probably a job or promotion or whatever. But he's one disappointed guy. Uh, He leaves the administration. He becomes the biggest critic. And I just think that's it's it's interesting. Okay, Um, obviously. And uh, but it's a distinction. I wanted to point out I don't think a uh, staffer for Trump would have got selected to moderate a debate now granted this is the uh, scully was a staffer back in the 90s and he's the guy on c-span for all the listeners out there who don't know who he is he's the guy to host c-span seems like a nice guy seems like i'm you know but but the bottom line is it's just how they do the debates it's how they interrupt conveniently it's how they pose the question it's it's the questions they pose it's the questions they don't pose you know it, it, what's really interesting i mean you don't have any questions on abolishing the filibuster or abolishing or stacking the Supreme Court. I mean, of course, they were asking questions on that, but there's nothing about abolishing the filibuster. There's no questions on that. You know, I mean, I'm not sure Scully plans on asking or having people. I don't think this question is going to be in the town hall. I don't think there's going to be any questions in the town hall about eliminating private health care or, or decriminalizing illegal border crossings. I don't think there's going to be any uh, questions on on legalizing sanctuary cities and protecting them. I'm sure there's not going to be any questions on, on favored nation status for China or eliminating ICE or defunding the police. I'm I'm positive about that. And I'm almost positive that you won't hear anything about voting rights for felons come out of this town hall debate as well. You see, this town hall debate will not have any real questions being asked of Joe Biden. And that's the truth. I mean, you know how they were making statements in the debates, OK, on the uh, on the uh, elimination of the electoral college, uh, you know, or, or like I said, uh, raising corporate taxes or establishing a wealth tax, uh, I mean, unrestricted abortions at any stage of the pregnancy, things like that. So these are the questions Scully will obviously avoid, and uh, there won't be any of those in the questions. You'll have a lot. You you might have questions from of Joe Biden being asked, like, how do you feel? Uh, how would you do things differently than Trump? Uh, what makes you a better qualified candidate? You know, just general flyover questions like that. Nothing that's going to dig into the meat and potatoes of policy. And that's really the part that gets me about all these debates, and I think that's what Trump's avoiding. Don't miss that, because these debates are are, are truly uh, they're, they're they're nothing but a showcase of of moderators and um, a showcase of of framing the nuance and framing the 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 narratives that they want to frame, and they put them in a frame, they put them in a picture, and they put them out there and display them. Uh, there is no push or drive. There is no journalistic efforts being made here. No act of journalism being being committed by anybody. And the town hall questions, and I want to sum it up with this, the town hall questions and the people with the questions are selected by the debate commission. Okay, so they're not really, de- they're not selected by, you know, by by the candidates. So Trump doesn't have confidence in this because Trump did a debate of uncommitted voters with ABC news. He had about seven or eight people ask questions of him. And if you watch that town hall meeting that was set up by ABC, that town hall, all the people that asked Trump questions were claiming to be, well, ABC claimed were undecided, uncommitted folks. If you watch the, Now, if you watch the town hall, you'll see none of them, none of them were uncommitted. They're all committed to Biden. That was the one Trump did on ABC. Biden did one on CNN, and he just did one recently on NBC. And of course, nobody really watches them. But but the bottom line is, again, stacked questions for Biden. These are all Biden questions, possibly uncommitted voters. I mean, you didn't have a cross sampling of of, of different types of professions. You didn't, certainly didn't have a cross sampling of Republicans and Democrats. You just had a bunch of Biden supporters. So these town hall events, the three that have already been done, were giant setups. So this meeting was going to be a town hall meeting with questions being uh, determined by the debate commission, the, the very people that picked Steve Scully, who was a former staffer for, for Biden. I mean it was a bunch of years ago but it doesn't matter. This, this guy is the, you know, he's the guy they picked. So the the distinction here that I'm trying to point out is that we can rest assured that the questions that will be asked will likely not be pointed questions on eliminating ice. Giving China or pursuing or furthering China's favored nation status, you know, jobs in China versus here, or eliminating the border walls, or or el- or decriminalizing illegal border crossings, or <clears throat> making sanctuary cities a uh, plausible opportunity and legal, okay? Uh, eliminating student uh, debt by causing taxpayers to pay off all this debt. You won't see any questions on that. You won't see any questions on eliminating private health care. No, they'll frame that as a we're going to do a, a really good Obamacare plan and you can keep your doctor. Well, folks, we've already seen that movie and we know how it ends. But you won't see any real pointed questions on that coming from the town hall. No. And you're certainly, as I said, not going to get any questions on their plan to 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 stack the Supreme Court or their plan to... To, uh, to eliminate uh, the, the electoral college or their plan to, to give voting rights to felons. I mean, lowering the voting age to 16, boy, that's a winner with suburban moms. See, you, you won't see these questions come out of these town halls against Joe Biden. But you will see things coming after Donald Trump. This is going to be a giant setup. So Trump basically said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it in person. I'm not doing it virtually. And I think he made the right decision. And we'll see what happens if they have one there or not. I think Trump's planning on events. Because, folks, it's interesting. And Biden and Harris are avoiding the answers. They are getting pinned down on just one question. Of all that they just presented, one question, one issue is being pinned down, and that is the stacking of the Supreme Court. They are continually running from this because they know if they reveal their plans for ending America and ending the Supreme Court and restructuring it, by ending America the way we know it today, they would be crushed in an election. And again, they know to—they're they, basically—they—they—they—they they, 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 uh, they have to appease their base. And by they can't—they to appease their base, they know they can't tell the truth. They have to lie. Or I should say, they have to tell the truth. <laughs> okay, uh, they—they're to appease their base, they have to tell the truth. If they, if, they, if they tell the truth, they'll appease their base and turn off America. If they, if they lie and say they're not planning on stacking the court, they're going to turn off their base, but be okay with the rest of America, I guess, in that eye. But the bottom line is it's bad for them. It's a lose-lose question. If you want to know how the Democrats plan to govern, if they ever get in charge, just look at what Cuomo's doing. How they've successfully killed small business in New York. Folks, somewhere in, somewhere in New York, somewhere in New York City, there's a restaurant at 25% capacity right now. They're all losing money, every one of them. They're all losing money. It's horrible what's going on. But I wanted to point that out, and I wanted to point out the responses. And I started to show out by talking a little bit about Trump's recovery and how he's getting on the campaign trail now. But it's I want to jump in to shift gears here a little bit. And I will do it as I always do very seamlessly. But I want to bring this out because this is a very important point that the media is basically shaming Trump and shaming Trump supporters. All right. Here's And here's Trump out there. He gets out. He gets home from the hospital. He stands on the balcony over there and he's got the grass in back of him. He's outside the building, takes his mask off. And everybody has an apoplectic fit when he does that. And uh, he starts encouraging hope and he puts it out there i have a, he has a message of hope and encouragement and they're calling him heartless they're saying that basically trump's cheerfulness is an insult to those who are fearing the virus so he's insulting those that have fear trump's trying to lift them out of fear folks you know the the chinese state media called trump irresponsible and irrational. And the Democrats and the problem to fake news jumped on that and they basically are running with that story. I mean, you'd think you parachuted into twilight zone or something, folks. This is amazing. They're accusing Trump of insulting those who wear masks and live in fear for breathing. They're accusing him of doing that. It's just irrational. This is crazy. The Democrats do claim that taking your mask off or not wanting to wear your mask is a que- is you're, you're, when you when you do that you're questioning COVID theology and committing some sort of obscenity. This is what they do. They call Trump utterly insane and dangerous, folks. There was a video of Trump assuring America, and they basically called that video of encouragement to America immoral, insane, and dangerous. That's what the fake news called this. And these fake anchor these fake anchors completely lost it because Trump stood by he stood on the balcony of the White House and they 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 treated him i guess they, they were acting like he was some kind of a bioweapon or something it was amazing oh my goodness he's breathing the same air as as I am oh my goodness <clears throat> this is what these people are doing they're calling it heartless folks but what i think is heartless is to call somebody who ha- who got sick with this as deserving it because they didn't wear a mask. That's what I think is heartless. They've twisted it into saying Trump's heartless. Well, let's look at Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia, because Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia, he got the virus. He got sick, and he was always wearing masks. So did he get sick because he was wearing a mask? Would masks have helped him anymore? I mean, he was wearing masks. But see, you didn't hear anybody out there questioning the, 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 the you know, the, the, the ability of a mask to protect us, you know, question the effectiveness of a mask. You didn't hear anybody out there doing that. And you certainly didn't hear anybody out there saying that uh, Northern deserved to get the virus because, I mean, you know, you didn't hear anybody wish him, you know, wish him bad or anything like that. But they did it for Trump. I mean, we actually had Chris Hayes out there who put out a Twitter calling for a truth and reconciliation commission. And we had thousands of people like that. They want the government to create a reconciliation commission for anybody who didn't wear a mask. Folks, these Democrats wrecked the economy with these lockdowns. They scared voters into using a mail system. And again, these are the same people who tell you to wear a mask while you jog, cut grass, drive your car, or stand alone on a beach. This is an in. This is truly an insult, folks, to common sense and science. <clears throat> That's what this is. When you tell voters to disregard any confidence they may have gained because they've been living with this virus for eight months and they haven't got it, or maybe they got it and got through it, but they when their when their fear levels come down, okay, you have the government, the Democrats out there saying, "Oh, oh you know, don't be you." To get rid of your fear is shaming those that have fear. So don't do it. You have to show your support by wearing a mask. It's like a symbol anymore. And and then request your mail-in ballot. Okay. I mean, it's like virtue signal. Okay. So now they're out there telling people to request their ballots. Okay. They're also telling people to these business owners to, to give up loyalty to their uh, fellow business owners and fellow citizens and give their loyalty to the state by, by basically, uh, you know, snitching on them <laughs> if they if they uh, go over the twenty five percent in New York, um, uh, you know, the seating capacity, and they end up seating thirty percent to 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 rat them out to the governor and to to the mayor, so that they can get in trouble and lose their licenses or whatnot. Folks don't miss it, you know. But I think what what I wanted to get out of all this was Trump is actually now gonna be the symbol of 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 living through this and the symbol of victory. And this is what I believe is going to happen. You got three weeks to go before the election, folks. I'm telling you, there's a lot can happen here. And I believe that the Democrats got way out over the skis with this, with these mail in ballots. I really, really do. I believe I I believe I saw a report that had 1.6 million mail in ballots were requested, or absentee ballots were requested in Pennsylvania. And only about six or seven percent were actually returned. In other words, um, you know, person used it, voted and mailed it in. So you still have 94 percent of all the ballots that were mailed out that haven't been haven't been used yet. This is concerning to the Democrats. Because you see, folks, they've requested people to collect the mail and ballot. And if you collect the mail-in ballot and if you lose it or misplace it and can't find it or spill coffee on it or whatever, uh, in some way, uh, you can't use it anymore. What are you supposed to do? Well, I guess you could turn it into the precinct, but you'd have to have the ballot to do it. If you lose it, you can't even do that. You can't request a second one. Or there might be a process to do that. I'm not sure. But whatever the case is, it really complicates things. So, they're concerned that they haven't gotten a lot of them back yet a few weeks out from this election. It's going to be very interesting to see two weeks from now where they're at on the actual number of ballots received. And if it's not over 20, 25%, I'm sure they're going to panic like crazy. But, whatever the case is, I think it's important. They were trying to cripple the U.S. Postal Service by overwhelming them with mail in ballots. They knew that the Postal Service couldn't handle it. They knew that the the County Election services couldn't handle it. They knew that. But they wanted to overwhelm these the uh, the system, if you will, with these mail-ins. and because they were banking on the fact that if the Republicans were to challenge ballots, it would have to go to the u s. Supreme Court. And they knew with Roberts and Ginsburg on the court, Roberts being the Chief Justice, that he could bring it to the court and obviously be the coin flip for the Democrats and allowing mail-in certain mail-ins to continue to count regardless of what the law says in the state. So they know this. So this is the game they were playing on all this. And then all of a sudden we watched what happened with the untimely passing of a Supreme court justice. And now the Republicans are going to replace this liberal justice who passed away with a conservative that will likely vote in in favor of 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 the states doing their own thing with the laws and and following state laws with the, with the mail-in ballots. In other words, signatures do matter. In other words, postmarks do matter. In other words, getting them in at a certain time does matter. Okay, so. When the U.S. Supreme Court hears this, and they're going to start disqualifying things in these states. The Democrats are the ones with all the ballots that can be disqualified because they're the ones with all the mail-in ballots. They estimate about one half of all Democrats or maybe even more than that, 65 percent of all Democrats requested mail-ins. Only about 25 percent of Republicans did. So, I mean, they're really concerned about the fact that they're way out over their skis on this. And I think that they're looking for the, uh, you know, the the agony of defeat, you know, remember from ABC, Wild World of Sports, where the, the skier comes down the downhill and the agony of defeat, and he does a really hard fall there. We all remember that back in the 70s. Well, this is going to be the agonizing agony of, of defeat fall that they're going to have here. And they're going to experience the agony of defeat with their own plan, their plan to trap the system, if you will, uh, with a, with with activist judges at the helm. And now that is being thrown out the window with Amy Coney Barrett, and I believe uh, they know now. As I've stated, uh, they that Trump holds the Trump card, okay? And they're seeing the agony of defeat already. You can see how crazy they're getting right now. I just think that's very important, okay? But it's it's really significant, and I don't want you to, I don't want our listeners to miss this because this was their plan for five months. They've been terrorizing voters into risks of voting in person, so they've gotten all these people to request their ballots to push for the chaos and clamor on election day. And uh, now uh, Trump's holding Trump card. I mean, and and you know, and what's interesting here is is the is the uh, United States Postal Service is asking judges right now. Uh, there there's a, uh, there is a there's a motion right now. The U.S. Postal Service has pushed a motion for clarification with the pennsylvania supreme court ruling uh and and basically they're concerned okay so there's a lot of concern with this so don't miss this folks don't miss this at all you see there's a lot of things breaking for trump right now and as i stated earlier the democrats know they got problems on all this they know they got problems on this you know it, it's funny Uh I said before, if you want to know what the Democrats plan on doing, even Joe Biden made a comment. He says, oh, you know, if science and data show me, I'll I'll have to shut things down again. And then he retracted that. Well, look at what's going on in New York. New York City seeks to reinstate virus restrictions in areas across the city. This was just out. The AP just reported it. The mayor said that he had asked the state for permission to close schools and reinstate restrictions on non-essential businesses. Again, here we go with the non-essential businesses in several neighborhoods because of a resurgence of the virus. I just think that's important. okay? And uh, again, the action, if approved, would mark a disheartening retreat for a city that enjoyed a summer with less spread of the virus, as this AP report puts out. They had less spread of the virus than most other parts of the country. Okay, and they had only recently celebrated the return of students citywide to a uh, to in-person learning in classrooms. They just put that out there, but shutdowns are going to happen starting, I guess, in nine zip codes, and about a hundred public schools and two hundred private schools are going to have to close. Indoor dining just resumed a few days ago. It's going to be suspended. Gyms are going to have to close. Here we go again. The Democrat mayor said he's taking action in an attempt to stop the virus from spreading deeper into the city. Folks, it's amazing. I mean, the, 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 I mean, I, I I can just tell you, uh, they had 1,100 people test positive in Brooklyn in just four days, just so our people, our, our listeners understand, okay? That doesn't mean 1,100 people are suffering in, in the hospital. That just means people have the virus, you know, like Trump had it, okay? Many, I mean, 99% of these people are going to survive it. So he's looking to shut down everything, okay, for what appears to be about 11 or 12 or 15 people that might die from it. Don't miss this. This is the plan they have. Their plan is to break the economy, their plan is to destroy the middle class. Their plan is to destroy our lives and make us dependent on them and on government programs. Don't miss that. Don't miss that, folks. I, I just think it's really interesting, and and then again, their plan is to cheat on these elections. I think that's an, that's a very important thing too. I mean, they're looking to cheat on these elections, and I think there was a, uh, I mean, that's what they're looking to do. They're, they're just looking to try to get through it, but now the the Supreme Court's going to change all of that. But again, they're they're trying their best. I mean, you you look at what they're looking to do in states like North Carolina, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Okay. Nevada. Okay. I think John McLaughlin had made a statement. Uh, He's a pollster that Trump had hired. He predicted there's going to be attempts at election fraud in Pennsylvania, attempts at it in North Carolina, and attempts in Nevada and New Jersey. He emphasized how there have been attempts to ballot harvest and also get rid of signature verification amid the push for mail-in ballots. So he advised that Mail-in voting should be called fraud because of this. I think that's a very distinct point. And again, they didn't bank on the Supreme Court having Coney Barrett in there. Okay. But the the key is, again, you want to see what the Democrats are doing. If If they really believe Biden was up 10 or 15 points or whatever it is they claim, they wouldn't be looking to cheat. I mean, they're trying to get rid of signature verification, for crying out loud. That's what they're trying to do. But they can't. They won't be able to do that. They won't be able to do that. I mean, these the governor of this state wants to enable fraud so that ballots will be cast for people who don't actually live where they say they're living with or, or vote. I mean, that's the, that's really crazy. But I mean, I, I would tell you that the president's gonna win. I mean, four years ago, these people were afraid he was going to win, and they tried to hold out, calling the election late, but it doesn't matter. Trump still won, even though that they went their way and tried to fight it with the Russian collusion scam, by embedding spies in Trump's campaign room, by phoning information on a dossier, by, by getting a spy, a Russian spy to feed information to a, to an individual to create this phony piece of trash. And, and then to brief the president on it, knowing it was phony, so that you could leak it to the media and create a story out of it. And then to use this same phony artifact, if you will, this phony article, and use this thing as as a, as a leverage to get a FISA warrant on Carter Page. This is what they did. So don't, I mean, you know, accepting election results, they haven't accepted any election results from 2016. Don't miss that either. Don't miss that either. But I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, again, you know, it's amazing. It used to be years ago and, you know, civility and civility, you know, you look at civility. You had the Michigan governor out there, not just sending out a tweet or some sort of a quick comment or some quick quote about the about the plot that was foiled. The FBI foiled a plot to kidnap her. I guess there were six people arrested and I think what's interesting is that the the uh, the FBI foiled the plot, and instead of saying thank you to the FBI and thank you to the Justice Department for your effective work, her way of uh, her strange way of saying thank you is to go after the president for saying that the president is uh, is is basically giving uh, aid and comfort to the to the nuts that were out there plotting for her for her kidnapping. I, I just think that's insane, and she makes a comment about it. That's bad. She went 10 times worse than that She didn't just make a comment She did a news conference on it She actually did a, 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 a press briefing I'm blown away With no evidence of anything She's out there declaring political hyperbole I am blown away by this As I said Axios and I believe it was SurveyMonkey Said that 92% of Republicans See the press as As putting out Bad information Or incomplete information or untruths or lies, at least some of the time. But what's more compelling is 80% of independents feel the same way, and almost 40-something percent of Democrats do. So we see a majority of this country, certainly at least two-thirds of it, don't trust what comes out of the press. And this is why. Because the press is giving the story, this particular story, all the wheels that they think they can give it, all the traction they want to give it. By their reporting it, they're trying to give it some level of credibility. But because they've lost all credibility with the American public, by their reporting it, they're just showing their, their bias. I mean, here they are reporting on a press conference that this, this governor of Michigan puts out there, which was complete political slander and hyperbole. It's unbelievable. But this is what the Democrats have been reduced to. They'll come out there and do press conferences. Governors will do press conferences. I mean, accusing the president of the most vile, of the most twisted acts. Okay. I mean, I'm not just talking about policy issues. I'm talking about going way beyond that. Accusing the the president of despicable acts. And, And do this without any kind of repercussion whatsoever. Doing this just conscience free. I mean, there's no political repercussion, at least not right now. She might lose her next election over it, but I believe that's coming up in two years. I mean, whatever the case is, politically, I think the Democrats know they're in trouble in Michigan. Uh, Josh James is likely to win his seat and take the Democrat senator out, uh, politically uh, retiring the Democrat back to political, uh, back to private life. Uh, Josh James is likely to win. I think Trump's going to win. I think they see the real numbers in Michigan. See, if Biden was ahead in Michigan by 10 points, you wouldn't see the governor out there putting this kind of a press conference out there. This is absolute desperation on their part. Absolute desperation, and they know it. But make no mistake about it, Trump is going to prevail. I think what's interesting, I mean, it's interesting, it's one of these people that, were arrested by the FBI for this kidnapping plot. One of them had video clips and on the video clips, he's basically out there denouncing Trump. He does not like Trump. Trump's a tyrant. I mean, he wasn't a fan of, you didn't, you didn't hear in his voice that he was encouraged at all to do what he did by Trump's words and whatever. I mean, th- th- this is insane and people know this, this is going to be out there. People are going to see the insanity of this. I wouldn't vote for these Democrats. I'm telling you, I, I would, I would, I wouldn't vote for any of them, folks. I mean, they're gonna. I think the Democrats are gonna lose miserably. There's three, three plus weeks to go before the election. They know they got real problems. Uh, there's going to be at least one debate uh, that they'll do in person. I'm not sure they're gonna do uh, the town hall. Uh, Trump's just gonna do his rallies. He's gonna get out there and do his rallies. And the Democrats are going to go apoplectic because he's out there doing rallies when he just recovered from COVID. And they're going to claim that he's out there being a super spreader, uh, that he's being, uh, that he's shaming all these mask wearers. But what's going to happen is he's going to wake up America. They're going to say this guy had COVID and now he's out doing rallies 10 days later. What's up with that? What's up with that? I guess some of these therapy treatments that have been developed under Trump's FDA, okay, and under the uh, under the approval rules uh, for new medications and so forth, Trump has relieved all these regulations. And because of the effective and efficient governance of Donald Trump and his administration, we actually have effective therapies to treat this, this dreaded virus. So someone like Trump, who's 74 years old, who's probably about 40 or 50 pounds overweight, uh, who fits some of the characteristics, if you will, of somebody that has risk, uh, 74 years old, for sure being one of those characteristics, uh, has recovered so quickly because of these therapies are so effective. So don't miss this, folks. The Democrats are scrambling right now because they don't know what to do with a recovered Trump. They don't know what to do with, with uh, the new symbol of America's recovery, which is Donald Trump. They don't know what to do with that. They don't know what to do with this powerful symbol. You know, Trump's the type of guy, Trump could walk into a room, a building, he would light it up. He's the type of guy that just, he just brings on so kind, so much attention when he walks into a room. Biden doesn't. Biden has lifeless eyes uh, and sun- sunken cheeks, uh, cheeks, and he just looks like he's 100 years old. He has no energy at all. I mean, even this thing right now with the 25th Amendment, what's interesting is that you have the House right now making preparations either to go after Trump in a second term or to uh, go after Biden in the first term by by taking him out because of, of reasons of mental incapacity. Uh, they're going to claim Trump has it, even though he doesn't have anything like that. Or they're certainly going to push Biden through the hoop because Biden does have the onset of dementia. I think people can have looked at him, see this. But whatever the case is, he's certainly uh, declining mentally, and I think that's important. I mean, you've got Donald Trump becoming America's symbol of recovery and Joe Biden, well, I guess, hiding in his basement. Donald Trump did more campaigning in the 10 days he had COVID than Joe Biden did in those 10 days. He actually out campaigned Biden by doing more than Biden did. I, I should say he was more visible. I mean, Biden puts a lid on his campaign every day, every day. Biden puts a lid. What that means, folks, is he basically tells the press, no more news today. I'm going to bed. So Biden turns off, puts a lid on his campaign every day at about, oh, about nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. He might come back. I mean, he'll put a lid on it for the day. Or he'll put a lid on it about noon. In other words, he'll do an act and then he'll go home. He works a half a day and then he quits. I mean, this is a guy who is just doing what he can. He doesn't want to get out there and let America see him for what he really is. And and, and they don't want to he doesn't want to get lost in his thoughts, if you will, on camera. He just doesn't want to do that. But make no mistake, folks, Joe Biden's got Joe Biden's going to run into a real problem here because, again, Donald Trump has become the symbol of America's recovery. And it is a powerful symbol, folks. Make no mistake about it. And Biden's going to have a hard time with this. You know, I I just want to comment on one other thing as I wrap the show up. Don't miss this, folks. Trump's out there doing what he can to encourage people to lift their spirits and let them know, folks, that he beat the virus. He beat the virus. And we, too, can beat the virus. He's going to show through his living and through his campaigning that he defeated the virus. And he will continue to show that Joe Biden, as Joe Biden wears his mask, that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are surrendering to the virus. I think the mask itself, when when we've lived eight months with this virus, folks, you have to understand there's going to be a lot of herd immunity out there. And we know what herd immunity is. We've known what it is for the last hundred years. This virus has been out there for a long time now. And people either, there's a lot of herd immunity out there. But make no mistake about it. Folks, this is the reality that we're in. And uh, as I stated before in earlier shows, the governor of the state and the governors, all these Democrat governors, they long for They long to make this virus the reason for ruining the economy. And then they would bring it back in their own form, their own socialist form. This was what they needed to happen. The only problem was they weren't in power. Trump was. And I think that uh, when you see 56% of this country feel that they're better off today than they were four years ago, whereas 44% in prior presidents and 46% and whatnot felt they were better off than they were four years ago, and those presidents won re-election, I feel pretty good about Donald Trump's chances at 56%. And I would also suggest, folks, I feel very good that that number was at 61% prior to the shutdowns. And then after the shutdown and where we are today, it only came down five points. I think in spite of uh, here we are with this raging pandemic, if you will, what the Democrats claim is raging. and all the problems out there with society. 56 percent of America feel they're better off than they were with Obama, Biden. That's bad for Biden, folks. Right will prevail. So hang in there, folks. We'll see you next week. Now, tune in later today. Uh, We're going to be on the watchman going over the vice presidential debate with Annette Baker. That's a very good discussion we're going to have. So tune in later at one o'clock right here on this station. Um, You can pick us up live at 1180WFYL.com by clicking listen live there, or you can go to YouTube and search 1180WFYL on YouTube, and then you'll have the listen live button there you can hit. And you can listen to us live this afternoon. Uh, certainly we appreciate all our listeners for tuning in. That's why we're here, folks. Um, I'm truly thankful that you're, that you make us your stop, your stop right here. I mean, that you trust us, um, you know, as, because we do provide the unadorned truth that we do bring it to you. You trust us as your guidepost folks. And thank you for that. See you next week on the point. I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.